0: are international Heather Roy and Gary Moore with me. Now by the way, traffic planning ahead for roadwork closures on Auckland's motorways tonight, including a full closure of northbound lanes state highway 20 between Hillsborough Road and state highway 16 from 9:30 p.m. this evening. First up, New Zealand children face a perfect storm of dangerous diseases as immunisation rates fall. Routine childhood immunisations, they've dropped dramatically. In fact, they've dropped so dramatically globally during the COVID-19 pandemic that the World Health Organisation and UNICEF are raising the alarm. Immunisation coverage at six months of age has fallen in New Zealand from 80% in 2020 to 67% by this year and as low as 45% for Māori. Anna Howe is a Research Fellow at the Faculty of Medical and Health Sciences, Paediatrics, Child and Youth Health, University of Auckland. Kia ora, Anna. Kia ora, Wallace. Explain this more a little for us. This is not just a general decline, but quite a drop. What's behind it?
1: That's correct. So what we're measuring at six months is the timely receipt of immunizations that children are given at six weeks, three months and five months and so we're quite concerned because this leaves them exposed to some dangerous diseases but um, the cause of that is mostly related to the pandemic and the knock-on effects that we've seen which isn't unique to immunization because the whole health sector is failing.
0: Nonetheless, this is putting our tamariki at real risk of preventable disease. What are some of those diseases?
1: So the immunisations at this point, we're concerned mostly about pertussis, which is whooping cough. So in New Zealand, we have a rise in cases every three to four years. So we're about due for one. Um, And immunisation is your best protection against that as an individual. Um, and particularly for those who are really young. Um, and because once you have uh, end up in hospital care, actually it's just supportive care. So um, you see lots of stories when this happens in New Zealand of parents absolutely terrified about not yeah. being able to do anything to help their children.
0: <coughs> absolutely. And there was a significant measles outbreak in 29, wasn't there? I think about, uh, or many hundreds were hospitalised and some more, especially affected with more than uh, 80 deaths.
1: That's correct. So in 2019, we had one of our worst measles outbreaks and measles is not endemic in New Zealand, so it has to be imported. So we're also concerned about that with coverage being low around the world and the likelihood of that coming into New Zealand combined with our low coverage as well.
2: Yeah. Heather Roy? Yeah, I'm a huge supporter of vaccination and it's, it's a, such a shame because um, successive governments have worked really hard at um, at boosting vaccination rates. I remember Tony Ryle had vaccinate childhood vaccination as one of his five key planks when he was Minister of Health and numbers did go up but the pandemic has sort of bumped everything else aside and i think um you know chronic diseases vaccination those things have really suffered and when when people are encouraged only to go to their gp when they're really unwell people think oh well i should just put off the things that aren't aren't urgent yeah but we did a great job of vaccinating the population so you know if you're looking for solutions let's look to the things that have been really successful and try and do that do you have to go to your gp to get vaccinations it's nice to but actually going to your pharmacy or going to the mall those stations that they had in malls during the the um, high points of the of the uh, pandemic worked really well outreach clinics worked really well so why aren't we focusing a bit more on some of those things that we've already proven can um, boost vaccination rates it's probably probably a fair
0: point and I know that we took our little one uh, our four-year-old to go to the local pharmacy in a mall to get uh, his uh, vaccination
1: Yeah, so I think that Heather's right. There are really good learnings that we could make from the COVID-19 rollout. Um, And there's certainly communities, Māori and Pacific in particular, who are doing lots of really good work with their communities. I think with immunizations for our tamariki, we have to remember it's slightly more complex because they're given multiple immunizations at one point in time. And we also need somebody to be responsible for making sure they receive those timely Immunizations, which is why typically it 's fallen
3: to general practice to do it mm. gary I, like heather i 'm a huge fan of vaccinations, and I think of a good friend of mine, Graham Condon, who was a city councillor here in christchurch an amazing wheelchair athlete who spent his life in a wheelchair because of polio. I had a mother who had polio mm. you know and mm. and we stamped all those things out and i 'm just listening to the comment about the Maori health. You know the Ma- the new Maori Health Authority has a huge challenge, and we really do have to get in behind it to make sure that those low rates are actually addressed in an appropriate manner. Um, Heather, you can probably remember standing in line at the local plunket. Uh, yes. To, yep. to get your vaccinations. Yep. Is that and, right? Um, yeah. Yes. And, and, yep. Oh, absolutely. They were done, yeah. And and it, it served a. a dual purpose, really. You know, lots of mums got to get to know each other and go to each other's houses and all that, and kids were vaccinated. And
2: and we checked had a lot for of those a whole things. lot of other things, too, at the same yes. time. Oh,
0: yeah. OK. Mm. Well, I'd like to hear from our listeners, uh, if you received a polio uh, vaccine, uh, if you can recall that, uh, why don't you get in touch? Text me at 2101. I mean, the Western Pacific region, Anna, was declared polio-free back in 2000, but the issue we're seeing here is also the sparking of diseases once considered almost eradicated Mm. like polio, which is this viral disease that can cause Mm. paralysis what of that
2: and i think that's one of the problems isn't it the younger people just have no concept of these diseases because they haven't seen them and look Mm. grandparents also gary and i are both grandparents Mm. grandparents Mm. need to take some responsibility for being vaccinated too for against things like whooping cough it's not just babies that catch them but you only need to see one baby with whooping cough to um, recognise the real value in, in vaccination babies do not have to go through that maybe we that? should.
3: I, I like your point Heather because maybe yeah. we should be sending a message out to all uh, grandparents to say make sure your grandchildren are vaccinated yep. You know, I can remember at school there was no option, we were all lined up in, the, right. in a line in the ne- district well, nurse went jab jab let, jab
0: let, well, Let's bring Anna back in to join the conversation Anna what do you make of what both Gary and Heather said?
1: Uh, I think that we have to be concerned about polio because we have Mm. seen some cases cropping up and I just noticed that the UK are going to run a booster campaign. Um, We've seen diphtheria into unvaccinated children in Australia. So these once considered dead diseases actually are still a problem and, Mm. um, and Heather's right. We should be making a community effort to protect our young children um, and one of the ways that that can be done is making sure that family members also have the appropriate immunisations that they need and I know there are some health services taking a whole final approach to this so they're not just checking on the children but they're making sure the whole family is taken care of.
0: Yeah uh, do you think that the focus on COVID and the COVID vaccine meant means that we have lost focus on Immunisation in other areas That is actually very right We've put mm. that to the background a bit And now we need to bring that to the fore And really quickly
1: Agreed mm. um, I think that we have really put a good effort Into COVID-19 But it's been at the expense of business as usual And now we're going to face the consequences of that
0: Yeah um, To those parents listening Right now What do they need to know This afternoon?
1: So basically they need to get in touch with their healthcare professional and find out if their children are up to date with their immunisations and if not organised for them to be done.
0: Very good. Anna Howe their research fellow from the Faculty of Medical and Health Sciences, Paediatrics, Child and Youth uh, Health. And uh, yes, your memories are coming through. I grew (laughs) up in the States when polio vaccine came around in the late 50s. We were all vaccinated at school. I was born in 1954, started school.
3: Remember, two injections and the pink drink. That's right. They used to give us, do you remember that, do you? Mm. I do. I can just about taste it still. <laughs> 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 um, I recall being a primary
0: school in the '60s, and health professionals coming to school and delivering all the vaccines and injections and preventative me- measures that we needed to have. Oh my goodness, uh, a lot of people recording this. I um, was the first kid in Auckland to get the new oral polio vaccine in the uh, in. Uh, in the 50s. But here we have um, someone who does remember the polio vaccine. Johnny, you're there.
1: Yeah, I am, yeah.
0: What are your memories?
1: Well, um, I, I remember when polio you know, was first, um, it was really scary. We, we were not allowed, you know, they shut swimming pools, public swimming pools. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, and then when the polio vaccine came around, I don't remember exactly what date it was, but sometime in the 50s, as I was still in, um, in school, um, the, yeah, I think I was in early high school or something like that, uh, and the, uh, um, they, we, they did it through the schools. We had two different vaccines, and you know, I forget what they you had to have one, and then after a little while, you know, a few weeks or, or days or something, you had to have
3: another.
0: Amazing. Hey, John, Kia ora. Thanks for being with us on the panel. Uh, 18 past four Yes, a, the, a lot here. Gary?
3: The thing about that was that it was pre-internet with all sorts of nonsense being spread. Uh, that was the first yeah. thing. The second thing, it was compulsory. The yeah. options were...
0: Nothing. (laughs) Now, on this next uh, topic, quite a big response too. If you're married, it's probably fair to assume that you share the use of a number of resources so that some costs of living are not duplicated, but faulty that might be in these times. Fewer rooms in rental property, fewer cars, same number of kettles, etc., I admit. Mike says, I share a house with a super, super annuitant. Who's my wife? She could be a flatmate. My sister, a lover, each qualifying for the pension. Why should my wife and I receive less than a combination of the other options on my list? It should be of no concern of the state. Currently married couples are facing discrimination, says Mike. So, it is Money Week this week, and one topic I want to touch on is this. Why do you receive less money on New Zealand super if you're married than those living alone? Ministry of Social Development said people in a relationship are more likely to share more costs and resources than a single person sharing accommodation. Is it right being paid less super than someone who is single and living with another adult? So just on the figures, a married person gets a pension of $817 a fortnight pre-tax versus $990 for a person sharing with someone who is not their spouse or partner, Dr Susie Morrissey is Director of Policy at the Retirement Commission. Dr Morrissey, kia ora. Welcome. Kia ora. Kia ora. What, what of this? We've had quite a response on this. I mean, should marital status come into the equation? Is this being penalised if you're married or a relationship?
4: It is a really interesting question and, of course, we're not used to seeing this with super because we think of this as our own income and for many, particularly in the past, for many women, this was probably the first time they received money of their own and in their own right. So the idea that then we've got uh, uh, to think about a husband and and that factoring into our payment rate, it is quite difficult for people. Of course... You know, super is the only thing. Other transfers are assessed at the household level, um, but of course, of course, super is is different. So I guess the question is: Do think, do do couples really have lower expenses than people who are sharing? <laughs> I mean, MSD seem to think that's the case, and I guess really, unless we have the data, we don't know for sure.
0: Okay, so for example, you were saying other ones are not um, affected on whether you're married or not. So for example, the winter energy payment is mm. another instance of, um, well, that doesn't matter.
4: Mm. Yeah, and that one's a bit different, isn't it? Because um, we're pro- if you are sharing, you're in the same house together. So there's, there's definitely a, something to consider there, whether that's applied Correctly or not, but it, it it this is a quite a, this is quite a tricky one for MSD to. Okay. Yeah, all, I
0: must admit. Shall we bring Heather Roy into this and just a declaration here. You are the Chair of Financial Advice in New Zealand. That's so, right. So yeah.
2: we, we're the um, organisation that um, represents financial advisors. So um, it's relevant for this and one of the other topics that we'll probably talk about soon. Uh, so we, we don't give financial advice, but we do support them. And I'm the chair, so I deal with the governance functions. But on this particular issue, I think it's actually a much broader thing. P- people are definitely penalised for being married there's no doubt about that, but um, it, to me it's a much broader topic and it really goes to the core of the discussion about what the purpose of New Zealand super is. Is it to live on or is it some sort of income redistribution or a rebate on a lifetime of contributing to the tax system from a benevolent government? And you know, you know, one question you could pose rather than the one that we're discussing is why does a multimillionaire receive the same as a single person? Um, should this be means tested if it was, there'd actually be more for the people who actually needed that financial support to live so I I think it's a much broader um, discussion that we need to have rather than this very narrow focus on whether you're married or not.
0: Is that fair or relevant Susie?
2: That's very, relevant. I mean, of course, you have to apply for New
4: Zealand Super, so people don't just get it. So those people Mm. who are well-off are are actively applying for it. But also the broader context is also the gender retirement gap, the gender pensions gap, that women have lower savings, lower KiwiSaver, for example, than men for a variety of reasons, like the gender pay gap and time out of paid work to care and working part-time. So there is a bigger context to to think about retirement income
0: Comes in. There's so many examples here. Wendy says, "Wallace, I'm a single super annuitant, my adult working son lives here. My
3: super is reduced because he lives here as well." Um, let's bring Gary in. Well, I'm going to be a bit of a heretic on this one because um, I'm I'm more worried about child poverty in New Zealand than I am about super <laughs> because we've got some terrible statistics with. With a, a good portion of our children, and I, I, we do we have the same focus on it? Because you know, I'm old. I can I can advocate for myself, and so and I vote. So politicians pay attention to me, but the children don't and can't. And I I'm probably more I'm I'm sort of uninterested in this, and I'm really interested in how we share with our kids. Fair enough, Gary. I want to ask Dr. Morrissey though: Do the rules reflect
0: modern society in which there are lots of different sorts of households sharing costs? And that is very clear to me with the listeners coming in. Every situation, every living arrangement arrangement now is really quite unique and really quite different.
2: Mm.
4: I think it's probably fair to say that a lot has changed since the super was put in place since we started right. having a pension and there are probably questions about whether it's still fit for purpose in the 21st century.
2: Yeah. Right. And I think the follow-on question is, you know, with the KiwiSaver generation coming through when they retire, mm. um will that be the end of New Zealand super? How much longer can we afford to spend as much money as we do? I think
4: I think a couple of points to that, if, you, if I may. I sure. mean, New Zealand Super is the sole income for 40% of people at the moment, and KiwiSaver has only been around for 15 years, so it's going to be some time in the future mm. before people have had a lifetime of paid work to be able to contribute to KiwiSaver. So that's worth bearing in mind. Secondly, of course, not everyone's going to have the same imp- impact on the labour market because of the unequal division of care. Women are are very likely to be having lower ki- we save the balances into the future as well. So, um, and then of course, there's the question of you know, um, New, New Zealand superannuation contributes so much to the economy when their contribution is calculated, it actually exceeds the dollar amount that we pay out in, in super. They are, mm. after all, our um, babysitters and our volunteers. So, yes. they, they're actually yeah. doing an awful lot with their superannuation. So, and you know they're going to be a quarter of the population, so we're getting an awful lot of benefit from a lot of people <laughs> for expenditure that might be well worth it.
0: Good to have you on the program, Dr. Morrissey. Kia ora for that. Uh, that's uh, the director of the policy, director of policy at the Retirement Commission, Susie Morrissey. Now, of course, a lot going on in politics. We've covered been covering the Sam Avendell uh, situation uh, from Monday when it broke at uh, around about uh, three. 30 pm by stuff, and we have two panellists involved in politics, <laughs> both local body and national. So I thought, well, I might get them to give us some advice. They've had a long <laughs> career in it. The selection process of party candidates that's the news on the back of Sam Uphandel, na- National's newest MP, has been stood down from caucus. Questions about Uffendale's suitability to be an MP started Monday. As I mentioned, when it was revealed he had attacked a younger student while at King's College Boarding School. Uh, Chris Luxon today uh, said it is what it is when asked for the reasons why his staff and party kept him in the dark about Uffendale's history of bullying and violence. He said his office made a mistake in not telling him. So just around the panel on this and in terms of um, the cut-off application for uh, local body, you first, Heather... What do you need if you want to enter politics? Do you sit down and really scrutinise what may well come out of your life?
2: Yeah, well, I think you have to. And um, there's the personal aspect and then there's the due diligence aspect of the party. But look, this isn't an isolated incident for one, one party. Every party has had issues around people's past coming out and um, mm-hmm. having to having to deal with those issues so it, it's a tricky issue but and it, it's not not related to one party uh, in any shape or form but when you think about things from a personal aspect it really does quite take quite an extraordinary relationship to enable a, a career in politics. Um, many partners, particularly, don't want children exposed to to things. And although there's all sorts of gentlemen's agreements about um, less serious things than we've encountered this week, um, fa- families become part of the story in in this in these times of the internet and blogging um so so things that have happened in your past are likely to come out and you have to you have to think long and hard about how you feel about that what impact that might have on families and i think that's one of the reasons that we're seeing so many student politicians coming to the fore now who are largely still single um, they don't have those those issues, but they don't have the life experience either mm. that we want to see in a House of Representatives.
0: Gary, you were a mayor for quite some time, the mayor of a, uh, a major New Zealand city, uh, Otutahi Christchurch, and here we have a day out from the cut-off for candidate applications. Many councils are still without the bare minimum of candidates needed to fill their vacancies. Gary, what would you say to someone... Wanting to enter local politics, or sitting down tonight with a pen and paper, thinking of putting
3: their name in well I, I was approached four times before I agreed to stand, and I was just a party <laughs> hack before then. Um, one of the things that I think uh, one of the things i 've noticed uh, working on David mates 's campaign is social and i don 't know what your thoughts are on this heather social media has changing politics quite dramatically. There's, you know, like, either you've probably yeah. done the public meetings and the street yes. corner meetings. Politics is, is theatre, it's about ideas, it's about playing with, you know, what would work and what wouldn't work. And, and that's mm. really, really, really healthy. But now people have evil thoughts and they actually express them in, uh, in, the, in social media. Their opinions yeah. are we? we've, we've, we've always had opinions Haven't we Gary We have Yes we've always had Look I can remember An Around old Dutchman Stopped me in a street corner And he, I said white He said black I said red He said but You know it was Went back and forth And after a while I said excuse me mate Can I give you some idea uh, A bit of advice He said Yeah hey, what's that he, I said If I were you I wouldn't vote for me Because I said I stand for everything You don't <laughs> And this Dutchman <laughs> Stood back and he, and he looked at mm. me And he said I'm sorry I voted I'd vote for you, and I said, <laughs> "Why would you vote for me?" And he said, "I like an idea. I like a man with an opinion. And that's on, how uh, politics does, should uh, be w- debated." W- w- was he from Was he from Holland? Was he? He no. Yes, he was from Holland, and we him and I. He, he used to ring me He'd go, it's Frank the bloody Dutchman here. And he'd turn up with his big 28-inch bike down the side of the house, and he gave me information all the time I was an elected rep. Final and it's th- those sort of relationships okay. you form. I think,
2: of- I think that Gary's right about social media having brought a very different um, attitude, I suppose, to politics. And it's very instant, and people are very brave sitting behind a keyboard. They don't go to meetings <laughs> yes. any longer. They sit there behind their keyboards, and they have have a flash of you know a, an idea in their brain and they have to get it out and out it goes for the whole world to see and yep. very very easy to be critical and to cast okay. aspersions that's very interesting um, yeah. so what's
0: changed in politics in the last few years two formidable politicians on the program saying one thing social media uh gary moore mm-hmm. and Heather Roy with me this afternoon you're on the panel rnz national